As we've continued on with our study of these scriptures given to us here in this book of Luke, I've been reminded over and over again of just how practical these precious words of truth are for the matters of our daily lives. Deeply spiritual truths, yes, but also very practical. And as I've studied these instructions given here in Luke chapter 12, I've been reminded of some of the events of my younger years, the years when I was still working in a bank. I can recall how most all of my hopes and my desires were for the things of that kind of life. I fully intended to work my way up in the hierarchy of the bank and become the president. And I was succeeding really well as I chased after my dream. My next step in the climbing of that ladder was to be named president of that bank or some bank. But then God had other plans for me. First, there came that most pivotal moment in my life, the moment that I gave my heart to Christ in salvation. It was then that everything changed. Everything changed. All of my hopes and my dreams as a banker faded, and I began to have different hopes and dreams. I began to want to be in some kind of Christian ministry, perhaps to become a missionary. But as can often take place in most people's minds when decisions like those come to the forefront, I immediately became concerned about how I would support my family. I knew that any kind of work in Christian ministry usually didn't pay very well. And my family lifestyle had already gained momentum with bigger monthly bills to pay. And I began to wonder and worry and have great fears about how all of that would work out. Thankfully, in the midst of all of my fears about how I would provide for my family, God reached in and he gave us the one thing that we would need to step on forward. He gave us faith. He gave us faith. A very basic and elemental faith, yes. But it was enough faith in him and in his provision to enable us to step on forward. And then almost overnight, my family and I were transported into a ministry to youth at French Camp Academy. And that would last for the next 33 years. And it's been these precious truths from God, like these that are in today's passage, and other promises like them that have helped and sustained my family and me, and to bring us to where we are today. And I praise God for that blessed assurance that these words have given us over all these many years. Listen and follow along as I read these words given to us here in Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. There we read, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief can approach, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. As we well know, there's so much more that takes place within the hidden realms of our private thoughts, things that only we know about. And it's there that our imaginations can, and very often does, run to its furthermost extremes. In the privacy of our own thoughts, we can imagine the possibility of the very best of circumstances. 
but it's also there that we can get caught up in imagining the very worst. And Jesus, the one who made you and me, knows that our imaginations often do have those inclinations. Whether we're sitting quietly alone or we're in the midst of the clamor of a busy workday, our minds rush to and fro, planning and hoping and desiring and calculating and making decisions based on only a few facts, but based on lots of emotion. And one of those emotions that influences us is this matter that we're speaking about today, the matter of fear. Fear. We might not think that that's so because we don't always recognize fear for what it really is. That's because fear has so many different and sometimes unrecognizable faces. Yes, we can recognize the fear of losing our lives. But what about the fear of losing our jobs and our livelihood? Fear of being rejected. Fear of losing that which is most dear. Fear for our health. Fear of not having the things that we need. And on and on. But again, and thankfully so, Jesus, the one who made us, knows that we have all of those inclinations towards fear. And here in this passage, Jesus brings to the surface several of those fears and anxieties. And most of them, most of them are the common and ordinary matters of daily life. What we'll eat and what we'll drink and what we'll wear. Verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you have need of these things. Now here Jesus is saying simply that we should not think it strange or wrong or even simple that we have need of these things. All people need them. And our loving God knows that you and I have need of these things. And while in this passage Jesus was specifically ministering to his disciples, as with all of his truths, his words and their meanings are timeless and they're appropriate to all people of all time. And I'm reminded also that Jesus was able to know the deepest and most private thoughts of all those who came near to him. So these words were not just free advice thrown out into the air. His words were most likely specific to a need taking place within those men as they are specific to needs taking place right now with you and me. Here in this passage, we aren't told about the private thoughts and the imaginations of Jesus' disciples. But his words to them suggest that some of them might have become worried and anxious, perhaps about such things as how they would support their families, how they would feed and clothe them, especially since they had given up their family businesses to follow Jesus. These particular words are, for the most part, concerned primarily with fears about the most basic needs for food and clothing. But I'm also reminded from other places in these Gospels that these disciples might have, on occasion at least, also been concerned with bigger and grander possibilities, hoping to sit at the right and the left hand of the King of all the earth. And no doubt their covetous spirits were at times running wild. So in addition to worrying about how little money they might have, they might have also been exhilarated about the possibilities of enormous wealth as co-leaders of all the earth. Again, imaginations can run to the fullest boundaries 
a possibility. But again, we can't really know about their thoughts. We can only guess. But Jesus knew, and he was concerned for these men. And for Jesus, every moment was a teaching moment. He wanted his disciples then, and also you and me now, to know about the dangers that reside within worry and within anxiety and within covetousness. And also about all the potential pitfalls that come with the abundance of possessions. And so here in verse 15, he tells us, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then also in verse 29, he tells us further, Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to the needy. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Within these few words runs the full length and breadth of our emotions, our fears, our desires, our needs, our covetousness, our seeking after things, and all our many worries about the things of daily life. And then here also, we're given God's wise counsel about how we're to deal with all of those emotions. And I'd like for us to consider his counsel very carefully, because as I keep saying over and over again, these words don't just have only to do with those few disciples. This wisdom from God has to do with you and me and all of the exact same kinds of fears and worries and anxieties that can consume our own thoughts and activities. So then, may I repeat the words that I've said in the past few moments? Fears, worries, and anxieties are very powerful and driving emotions. And if not properly dealt with, if not properly dealt with, they can take possession of and even completely dominate our behavior, especially fear with all of its many forms and faces. But here Jesus urges us to bring all of our concerns about these matters back into a proper and godly perspective. He's the one who made us, and he knows that we have need of all these common things that we seek after, what we'll eat and what we'll wear, and on and on. And in these matters of need, very importantly, he himself wants always to be our provider. And he tells us here in verse 32 that we must not fear. We must not fear. And also, with these words, I'm reminded that Jesus is able to use any circumstance and any attitude of heart to bless his beloved children. He truly can work all things together for good. And that's especially true with this matter of fear. In the hands of the evil one, fear is a destructive emotion. But in the hands of our loving Lord, this same fear can be good and helpful. Notice carefully that on the destructive side, it's fear that most often drives us to turn to and to depend upon our own skills and abilities to provide for our needs. I'm reminded that just after Jesus was crucified, Peter and some of the other disciples immediately returned to their secular work as fishermen. 
uncertainty and anxiety and fear. Those were probably very strong within those men during the confusing aftermath of all that took place in the Lord's crucifixion. But remember also, remember also that within just a few days, Jesus came to them on the beach there at the Sea of Galilee, telling them where to cast their nets to catch a great number of fish. And as they obeyed his commands, he proved to them that they had no need to be fearful, that he truly was God, and that he was able to provide for their every need. So then, both for those men then and for you and me now, within these words, do not fear, resides his open invitation for us to turn to him in our times of need. And so these precious truths are for you and for me. First here in verse 29, do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. And in verse 32, Do not fear then, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then in verse 33, the Lord's counsel is especially needful for you and me in our days as we live and have our being in a culture of wanting more and more of the things of this world. Here Jesus tells us to, instead of acquiring more, he tells us, sell what you have and give to the needy. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These words have a strong tie to the words of 1 John chapter 2. It tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of this world. When Jesus counsels us in verse 33 to sell what we have, it's probably because we have accumulated things that are not good for us to own. In our lust of the eye and our lust of the flesh, we often acquire things that are harmful to us, to our family, to our financial condition, to our lifestyles. Perhaps some of those things that we own keep us in that venue of the pride of life, the pride of life that's spoken of here in these words. Because when we do own something nice, we like to show it off. Our expensive new car, our new clothes, some flashy jewelry, even just to be seen in and to tell others about an expensive restaurant that we ate in recently. The pride of life can be a destructive part of the abundance that we possess. And here Jesus counsels us to sell it. Sell that house that's too big, that's too showy and too expensive. Sell that new big and powerful pickup truck. Yes, you might technically be able to afford those things, but in reality, it may be dragging you down because you do things and you act in ways that you should not. And here also, right after he counsels us to sell those extravagant things, Jesus instructs us to give to the needy. 
These words remind me of the counsel that he gave to the rich young ruler. To him, Jesus said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. But when he, that the rich young ruler, heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Here to his disciples, Jesus said, sell what you have and give to the poor. Why is that important? Both for the rich young ruler and also for us disciples. It's important because too often that which we own, owns a little bit or perhaps a lot of us. Though we may not recognize its weight, the ownership of our possessions is a burden that drags us down. Do we not check the balance in our retirement account whenever the stock market drops? Do we not lock our doors to keep the thieves from breaking in and stealing our possessions? Do we not lock our cars? And do we not clutch our purses close to our side as we walk? Why? Why do we do that? It's because, as with the rich young ruler, we fear losing the abundance of our possessions. Folks, there's great wisdom hidden within these words. And that wisdom cries out to you and me, saying, Be very careful, little ones, about the things and the opportunities you desire. They can bring joy, yes, but they can also bring troubles upon you. Here, the wisdom from Jesus calls out for us to sell anything that we don't need. But even further, not only to sell it, but to also separate ourselves even from the money that we receive from having sold it. Why separation? It's because such separation is necessary for true holiness. God continually admonishes us to come out and to be separate from the world and from all of its ways. It's only as the things of this world and our dependence upon the things of this world are removed, separated from us, that there becomes room for faith and trust in the one who can give us the things and the provisions that we really need. But folks, as we well know, this is not an easy path to walk. We really are very attached to all those things and ideas and provisions. That's why faith really is such a radical choice for us to make. It really does not make rational sense for us to sell all that we have and give all that we have to the poor and then to come and take up our cross and follow Christ. It really does not make logical sense. But the real truth is, it is the only path that will lead us to righteousness. The only path that will lead us to real unburdened joy and happiness. The only path that will lead us into the eternal kingdom of God. Here Jesus is inviting us into a step of radical faith. Radical faith. A recognition that He is God and that He is an able provider. And that He truly will meet all of our needs. Verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added to you. And in verse 30. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The question for you and me today is. Do we believe this? Do we really believe this? If we say yes, that we do believe it. The next question is. Do we believe this strongly enough to really do something 
about it strongly enough to begin to have and to exercise a radical faith in this God who loves us. Let me close our time today with these words from the Lord about this radical faith that he wants you and me to have. First from Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then also in Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let's pray.